Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Motherhood Exposed. Today, we get to hear about a very special little girl, Jessica who was born with a rare and complex heart condition. Louise, one of the strongest women I've ever met and Jessica's mum, tells us all about her courageous, smiling little girl. Devastatingly, Jessica died aged six and a half in 2018. And Louise talks us through navigating life and grief without her darling girl. Hello, Louise. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, Zoe. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, I should just say at the start of this that you and I used to work together when I was a newly qualified baby midwife. Um, but we just figured out the last time we saw each other was 14 years ago, which yes. is just beyond mental. And I feel very, very, very old now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I was, trying to, I was thinking about it because um, I think we covered a few births together as well, didn't we? Um, one of the ladies I still follow on Instagram and not on, on Facebook and she's I think she's in Melbourne now with four children. Yes that's probably the same lady that yeah. I'm still in Facebook too. <laughs> yeah no it's amazing so nice. Anyway um so Louise I always start my podcast with the same question which um I know I remember you dating your husband when we we were working together so how did you meet Michael? We met at university through the Ballroom Dancing Society Boring, of course you yes. did. <laughs> um, we, I was one of the demonstrators and he was um, going along with a friend and starting trying it out for the first time. And he asked me if it was my first time dancing, which I was very slightly insulted by. <laughs> I was helping demonstrate some of the dances. And then we got to know each other because um, we were doing acrobatic rock and roll lessons. His dance partner and my dance partner later married each other. Really? Yes, really. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah, so that's how we got to know each other better. And I was in a relationship at the time. And over the summer, I split up with my then fiance and came back to university, newly single. And we bumped into each other and got together very unexpectedly because I'd never seen him as anything other than just a good mate and all of a sudden we hit it off and got together and been together ever since. Gosh so what when was that what year was that? 2000. Oh wow oh wow you've been together 21 20 years. years oh my goodness again you seem way too young to be together with <laughs> for 21 you. years <laughs> that's incredible um and when did you get married? That we was... got married in 2009. And then you fell pregnant with Jessica at the start of 2011. 2011. So when with Jessica, did you find out that things weren't um, as, as a normal pregnancy as, as, as was to be expected? Yeah, I mean, everything started off very normal and, and seemed absolutely fine. And we 
went for the 20 week scan and they couldn't they said they couldn't get very good views so could we go for a walk and come back and so we went for a walk had something to drink came back and there was another doctor in the room and I knew at that point that something was wrong yeah well you're a midwife so (laughs) (laughs) I knew that it wasn't just that they couldn't get good views they'd seen something and they wanted to have another look with Mm -hmm. a second opinion okay and what did they tell you that day they told us that um, there was something wrong with her heart. They thought that the left side looked underdeveloped and they referred us to um, John Radcliffe in Oxford later that day for a more detailed scan. And I, I remember being taken into the room with tissues by the midwife. We always oh. refer to it as room with tissues. And, um, <laughs> I remember her saying to me, because I was asking questions, I very much had my midwife hat on Mm -hmm. and was asking quite clinical questions. And she said, you need to stop being a midwife Mm. and just be a mummy right now. Mm. Wow, that must have been tough. Um, um, Can you explain to us what they found with Jessica's heart? And I'm just going to admit that I was reading your blog last night and I was following your amazing drawings, but it was still incredibly complex. So yeah. It Good luck doing nice. this. <laughs> so um, she was born with a condition called hyperplastic left heart syndrome, which basically means that the left-hand side of the heart is very, very underdeveloped. Um, in layman's terms, we describe it as being born with half a working heart. So basically what has to happen is that um, the vessels going around the heart need to be replumbed so that, because normally one side of the heart carries the blood to the lung takes the blood to the lungs to get oxygen and the other side pumps it around the body Mm -hmm. so where you have got one side of the heart that's not working properly you eventually have to gradually replumb the heart so that it goes round to the lungs under its own steam and then gets pumped around the body to to the heart so it's a lot of replumbing to make one side of the heart effectively do all the work okay and what was um so while you were pregnant what was um jessica's prognosis Jessica's prognosis was really quite poor when I was pregnant with her. We, she was, she had a few additional complications as well as just having a small left side of her heart. Um, the there was a hole between her heart um, that's known as a restricted atrial septum, which basically meant that instead of the blood flowing between the two sides of the heart, which is quite normal when the baby's in the womb. Mm. Um, it couldn't flow as well as it should be able to. So that made her prognosis worse. Um, it meant that her pressures ended up being in, in her blood vessels and things were higher than the doctors would have liked them to be and meant that they weren't sure whether she'd survive birth, whether she'd be suitable for surgery after birth. So wow. yeah, it was really quite poor. So how did the rest of the pregnancy continue? So when we found out about that, um, we obviously did a little bit of research and we found out about um, Boston Children's Hospital in America that did in utero surgery um, on this particular scenario that we thought would give Jessica a chance. So we were we asked our consultant if, you know, that was something that would be an option for us. And they told us that they had a colleague that was on sabbatical in the States at that point in time. Oh, wow. Yeah. But he happened to be back in the UK at the point that at 28 weeks, which was the ideal point for them to try that surgery 
over here. Um, they'd never done that particular procedure before and we've never yet met anybody else that's had that particular procedure. Um, but they were willing to give it a try as long as we were prepared to take on board the risk that it might not work, it might not give her a better chance. And obviously it was quite risky to her at the time that she might not survive the procedure. My goodness, that's talking, that's the stars aligning, isn't it? That's that's yeah. incredible. Very much so. How was it having that procedure? Um, yeah it was it was scary it was scary it was very we had quite a lot of I think there were 10 consultants in the room oh my goodness awake throughout um and they basically put a big needle into my bump and um anesthetized Jessica through that and then passed a wire through that into her heart um with a balloon on the end to open up the hole in her heart they couldn't do it the first time they tried so um I had to go through the procedure twice oh my god and they, they, it was all done through ultrasound. And the, they were kind of getting towards about two at the end of the two hour period where they, the window they could do it while the anaesthetic worked. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, the surgeon who was doing it saying, we're just going to have to go in the side of the heart and just go for it. And it felt very much like, right, it's kill or cure. We're just going to have to do the most risky thing here and try and see if we can do this. And it worked. I'm a bit speechless today. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, her hiccuping and moving about when she woke up was the most amazing feeling. Oh my goodness that. me. So was, was it, a- did you know like straight away as soon as the anaesthetic wore off that it had been successful? Uh, well, we knew, we knew that we'd given her a chance at best, I think was how it was, it was phrased to us at the time. We'd given her a chance. Um, there was a chance that the hole could close up a bit more um and obviously there was a chance that it could trigger preterm labor so it was still quite risky but we'd given her a chance and that was amazing mm. that we gone from the prognosis being awful and she probably wouldn't really survive to birth or or be suitable for surgery to there might be a chance that she could have surgery after birth and how how was her birth um it was very surreal because I went back to the hospital where I trained as a midwife. Oh, did you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> which was very strange um, being on the other side of it. And I remember seeing my tutor as I was being taken down the lift from the antenatal <laughs> ward to the labour ward, which was really bizarre. Um, it was quite hard labour. So um, you, you were allowed, sorry, in inverted speech commas, yeah. allowed to labour. So that was OK for it wasn't yes. going to put Jessica under any. Yeah, the plan was that I was going to be induced at 39 weeks, but I went into labour spontaneously at 38 weeks. Awesome. So Jessica well decided that she wanted to come early. <laughs> Good girl. Um, so there was a, she was back to back. So it was quite, it was quite a painful labour. And I, I did have an epidural. Um, and there was very much a sense of, the scary times about to happen. Mm. So I do remember the second stage when I was pushing, feeling quite scared that it was all about to start happening. And up until that point, I'd kept her safe. Yeah. And beyond that point, it was out of my hands. Yeah. There was nothing I could do. And I suppose for most most women, it would be the pushing phase and then it's over the baby's here and you can all relax and actually it was the complete opposite for you it was she would coming and then the work the hard work was starting very much so but when she was born when I heard that cry that was the most hands down the most joyful moment of my entire (laughs) life 
Um, my husband and I were both crying. We had um, the hospital chaplain in the in the room shortly after because we asked that Jessica be baptised after birth just in case she didn't survive. Um, but she was pink. She was crying. Wow. I got to hold her for a few minutes before she was whisked off to the neonatal unit. And it was the most joyful moment because she was here and beautiful and pink and crying and that's amazing incredible. incredible and with her next surgeries were they planned like immediately from birth pretty much so she had her first open heart surgery when she was eight hours old oh my gosh so I got to have half an hour with her on the neonatal unit before she was whisked over to the general hospital on the other side of the road oh wow surgery. so Michael went over with her shortly afterwards and stayed with her until they took her off the surgery so he took photos of her there for me um but it was it was a really weird day because it's it was scary but I was so full of joy that she was here and that she had a chance so it was yeah it was very bizarre I don't remember being quite as scared that day as I was with the later surgeries I think because the euphoria of her arrival Mm -hmm. carried through a lot of that day yeah and can you talk us through, so her initial surgeries um, from when she was born? So she had her first surgery when she was eight hours old, which was to um, open up the hole between the two chambers, the top two chambers of her heart and to put bands on her pulmonary arteries to help with the blood flow. So that took quite quite a long time, quite a few hours, that surgery. And we got to see her in Piku about 11 p.m. that evening which was amazing and then that that's what's known as the first part of a hybrid procedure um, and then she had the second part of that when she was eight days old which was to put a stent in to one of her vessels I think and then we were in hospital for four weeks and she we we got to take her home which was amazing to be home with her and have a little bit of normality and then and was she was she without any oxygen or anything she was need any oxygen she came home without oxygen. she was breastfeeding it was amazing that was something else that I wanted I wanted to breastfeed her and I didn't know if that would ever be possible so she did have um she had to have high calorie formula as well because she needed the extra calories to grow Mm -hmm. she she wasn't growing well enough just on breast milk, but she did breastfeed very well, which was really lovely. And we actually got to the point just before her next round of surgeries that she was exclusively breastfeeding for about two weeks, which was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And then so then then when she was 14 weeks old, she had the next surgery, which is usually the very first surgery that babies with hyperplastic heart left heart have. Um, but because she was quite small, she was only um, £5.10 when she was born. She wasn't able to have that straight away. So she had to have an interim surgery to kind of help her heart cope well enough to grow to be ready for the next one. So she had what was called the Norwood procedure, which is quite a big surgery when she was 14 weeks old, which was about 10 days before her first Christmas. Yes. So we spent her first Christmas in the hospital and it was amazing because we were it was Christmas and we were together and that was the most important thing was just Mm -hmm. that he was here and we were together and we'd come up from um PICU to the heart ward on Christmas Eve and yeah it was just lovely 
it was just lovely to have her here. She had a complication after the surgery, which um, is something called chylothorax, where um, the fat leaks into the uh, out of the lymph ducts. So she couldn't have breast milk. She had to be put on a low, very low fat milk, special milk for that. So I expressed for six weeks. Oh, wow. Try and keep going. And she got back to the breast. She never got back without shields. That was the only way she would feed with, with a nipple shield after that. She wouldn't go back directly, but she did go back to the breast after that, which I was really pleased about. And all the milk that I pumped her at that time went to the milk bank and helped other people. Oh, babies. I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> so amazing. that was good as well. Oh. So, so I um, was really doing that, but I'm, I was really glad I did it. No, that is such an achievement. That is so hard as well, such dedication. And um, how soon after her, her Norwood procedure did she get home? Uh, that was, again, another four weeks. Wow, okay. And then what? Was it just kind of life as normal uh, as could be? It was for a little bit. Um, so, But then there was another surgery planned after that, um, which is called the Glenn procedure, which is the second stage that children have with this particular heart condition. And she had that just after Easter. So, um, yeah, so how many months, months she was then? Yeah, seven months old then. Seven so months she was old. Really four months with her um, Norwood and seven months old, months old with her Glenn. Okay. And we had the same complication after surgery. So again, expressing again, <laughs> but getting back to, to breastfeeding, which I was really pleased with. And she eventually breastfed until she was 17 months old, which was... Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. What an so, achievement. I was really proud of that. <laughs> but, um, um, and then there was normality. She came home after five weeks from her Glen. She had quite a bumpy ride with her Glen. She got... Um, uh pseudo influenza i think no para, para influenza um in piku and had a wound infection so we were in piku for two weeks that time she had okay. a really rough recovery but when she came home we had normal life for the next few years which amazing. was and after those um procedures what were you told for her again for her prognosis How so the prognosis at that point was if she got through to birth and if she got um to the age of five she'd have a good chance of making it to adulthood okay so the prognosis was much much better but we always knew that her third surgery because she was a bit more complex to start off with her third surgery was she was more high risk for that so we were prepared that she might have a bit of a bumpy ride because of her pressures in her arteries and things like that meant that she might be a little bit more complex for that next surgery and did you did you always know when that surgery was going to be uh we didn't know exactly when it was going to be it's usually around the time that they start school okay so um we kind of knew from about the age of four that we were on a countdown to it right until then we just enjoyed normal life and Sophie came along when Jessica was two and she was heart healthy and life was pr pretty wonderful so Other than about depression with Sophie, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so wonderful. But um, rose tinted glasses, everything was wonderful. <laughs> um, so going back like a hundred steps, um, you got home with her after her third surgery. Um, no, one, two, three, fourth surgery. Um, yeah. At seven months old, um, and you were told, okay, so if she gets to five, then the prognosis is good. How was that as a family? Did you was that a number that you you spent? 
all your time focusing on? No, not so much because um, so because the future with Jessica was always very uncertain. We very much lived in the moment because mm-hmm. it was very much a case of we have today. Tomorrow isn't promised. Okay. So we're just going to focus on today and enjoy today. So we never we never looked ahead really, other than because ahead was quite scary. We yeah. didn't know there was a surgery looming. We didn't know what the future held for Jessica. So it was very much a, a question of focusing on the fact that she was here and and being with her in the here and now. Absolutely. And sorry, how old was Jessica when you um, when you had Sophie? She was two. Two. And how was your pregnancy with Sophie? How? Because it, it must have felt very, very different having um, a healthy heart child compared to obviously what you'd gone through with Jessica. It did. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a fairly straightforward pregnancy. There was a little bit of anxiety, obviously, with um, waiting for the scans and making sure that everything was fine. Um, but I mean, it's funny because my pregnancy with Jessica, even even with the worry, I would still describe that as a really joyful time <laughs> because again like with the rest of Jessica's life we didn't know how long we would have with her so she Mm -hmm. focused on the here and now and enjoyed it so it was quite a joyful time and Sophie's too it was it was lovely it was lovely just Jessica being excited about having a baby brother or sister and it was a very normal lovely time amazing and I know that Sophie and Jessica shared a really close relationship can you talk a bit about that yeah, they, they were lovely together. I mean, there was only two years between them and they, they just had such a lovely close bond. They loved playing with each other. They, um, well, they, they both shared our room. We, we had a family bedroom because yeah, <laughs> we it that way and we, we never actually moved Sophie out um, until after Jessica died, sadly. But um, they they would giggle together they would tell each other they loved each other before they went to sleep. Aww. They were just absolutely lovely together. And Sophie, Je- Jessica was very protective of Sophie. She was very much the big sister leading the way. But there were also times where so the roles could be re- re- reversed because Sophie was very protective of Jessica. If Jessica would get tired, Sophie would take her hand and say, come on, Jessica, you can do it. You can do Aww. it. So she, she's picked up on the fact that Jessica needed looking after too mm-hmm. and would be part of that. Uh, what age did she start sort of realising um, realizing that, do you think? Um, I'd say about two or three. Wow. She, there was more of an awareness of that, I think. It's amazing, isn't it? I remember seeing, um, you always used to post videos of them dancing to Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they love Strictly. They love trying to copy the moves. Yeah. <laughs> Trying, inverted comments. <laughs> Indeed. Amazing. And you just touched on the fact you had postnatal depression with Sophie. Have you ever kind of got to the bottom of, because um, I guess if you'd look at it from a textbook point of view, you'd think it would come on from after Jessica and after everything you went through with her. Did you ever know what, what, what triggered it with Sophie? Um, no, I mean, I remember really struggling with it because I'd been I'd felt like I'd been really strong throughout the first year of Jessica's life and now suddenly normal was thrown at me and I couldn't cope with it Mm. but I think also because the first year of Jessica's life there was so much support because of all her health issues we were in and out of hospital we had all the support from the health visitors we had a huge amount of support and obviously with Sophie we 
it was just normal so we were just left to get on with it and I think I think it was the exhaustion and possibly a bit of a delayed reaction yeah in that first year or so of Jessica's life that everything just felt overwhelming and too much and I didn't know how to deal with normality yeah no that makes so, so much sense well I didn't know who to phone because with Jessica we had open access for the children's ward if I was worried I could just literally pick her up and take her to the children's ward the day unit the children ward and, and get her seen whereas with Sophie I was like oh what do I do in the middle of the night if she's not well <laughs> don't phone the children's ward who do I phone so there was also that getting to grips with normality in some respects no that makes so much sense and obviously postnatal depression is extremely common um, and needs to be talked about what do you think helped you to recover I had telephone counselling which made uh, which helped quite a lot um, and I think also being able to be honest about it yeah do you, do you feel like you were you recognized it in yourself with your kind of background and everything I did but I was in denial for a long time I mean she was 10 months old before I finally admitted it that I was not coping and that this wasn't just tiredness mm. because every time I was really struggling I'd be like oh no 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 I've just not had enough sleep if I just have a bit more sleep I'll be fine I'll be fine and which is probably true husband, to a degree as well <laughs> yeah yeah that's true but my husband was definitely picked up on it quicker than I did in that respect I think I was in denial for a long time about mm. it but once I was open about it and um, I found a group on Twitter um, PND chat that was once a week and chatting to other mums helped a huge amount so with peer support yeah peer support that's and telephone counselling amazing and, and hopefully getting... <laughs> <No>, what? <laughs> okay, what? sleep <laughs> terrible once, once both girls were sleeping oh the night. doesn't it just I'm still waiting for that when does that happen <laughs> oh. well hopefully in the UK there's um obviously there's been news recently that there's going to be more support for mums post um mental health wise regarding the last year and everything so fingers crossed there's a lot more out there and I'm sure telephone um support as well will be a massive part of it and um, bearing in mind COVID so that's awesome can you talk to us just about Jessica and what she was like? Oh, she was a little sweetheart. She was so full of joy. Her godmother called her a, a joy carrier, which is the most perfect description of Jessica. She was always smiling. She was always laughing. She took everything in her stride. Even in the hospital, she she was would smile to the nurses. She was just so happy. I mean, hospital appointments and stays for her were, were sleepovers she I, remember, to- I remember you said you writing that that she's excited for her sleepover <laughs> yeah she was, she was just amazing she was so strong she was so happy she just lit up a room just by being in it she was just so yeah so full of joy and what were her favorite things her favorite thing she loved Playmobil absolutely adored Playmobil and her Dolly Kerry she absolutely loved her Dolly Kerry and being with Sophie she just loved being with Sophie when when she was at school when um I used to come and pick her up with Sophie and her eyes would light up and she'd be so happy to see Sophie and to give Sophie a big cuddle and to be reunited again and that was oh, really- that's so special the sibling bond and with her going to school was there any um any kind of uh, information you had to give to school or is there any sort of special provisions that needed to to be in, in place around Jessica? 
Yeah, I mean, we provided um, an information sheet, very detailed information sheet with if various scenarios happened, what they what the school needed to do. Um, we had a home visit beforehand, as we did with Sophie as well, but the teacher took quite a lot of time with us going through all the things that they needed to look out for. Um, Jessica's preschool had quite close links with the school, so her reception teacher already knew her from visits to the preschool, which was helpful as well. Um, but yeah, we just made sure we we gave information. We live very close to the school. So I think that was reassuring for the school that we could be there very quickly if there was mm -hmm. any worries. Um, and that if school had any worries, they could phone us at any point during the day. So, but we felt that she was in very good hands. They were very good at taking on board the information and asking us if there was they had any concerns and keeping up, up us updated with any concerns that they might have had during the day. And she was able to have a normal school day like all the other children? Yeah, she was. They were very flexible with her. So um, we were able to um, have her on half days if she was struggling. Mm -hmm. But she pretty much had a normal school day. If it was very cold outside, she tended to stay inside during yeah. break because she struggled with the cold quite a lot she they were fine with her needing extra layers they obviously she took part in PE um yeah she pretty much had a normal school experience Amazing. which was lovely so the final surgery um when did you find out about that we found out about that the summer when she was five that they were planning on putting her forward for that surgery um, sooner rather than later and what, what were they waiting for her for her to be bigger and stronger or for her yeah. heart the original plan was that they wanted her to be 15 kilos when they did the surgery so we kind of and she was very slow to gain weight so we kind of had that figure in our head so that was quite weird because obviously you want her to gain weight and grow but that would mean that the next very scary step would happen so it's yeah all very weird that um and then it was quite scary when they actually made the decision and said, right, we're going to go ahead, put her forward for the surgery and you'll get a call arranging the date of the surgery. So that was quite an, an anxious summer waiting for. Oh, wow. So it wasn't like you're going to get a call tomorrow. It was. No, you're going no, to. No, no. no, it was. a we, So we found out that she was going to be put forward for the surgery in July and then we had the first, they, they suggested a date in September, but my husband was away working a lot that autumn. So they bounced it to November. And then for various reasons, it got bounced twice more um, due to it being too busy on Piku. We had one time that we went in, she was ready for the surgery. And then um, we had to go home that morning because the surgeon was ill. Oh my goodness! So we got we were prepared for it to all, all to happen, and then we had to go home again and wait for a new date, which oh. was quite quite stressful. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably the understatement of the century. <laughs> we had one day where um, the first time we had um, a phone call, we phoned in that morning to check on the bed situation, and we're told that Picky was full, and we had to bounce our surgery. And Jessica. I remember Jessica was devastated because she'd been gearing herself up for her hospital sleepover and she was so upset that it wasn't going to happen. Oh. 
Um, and then eventually we got a, th a third date, which was um, just after Christmas. So we went in the day after Boxing Day and she had the surgery on the 28th of December. Oh, okay. And you were pregnant at this point again? I was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And did Jessica know that you were pregnant? She did. We told the girls on Christmas Day. Oh. She was so excited. <laughs> so excited about it. And she wanted a little brother. We didn't know what we were having, but she wanted a little brother. And she was, she told all the nurses in the hospital, everybody <laughs> came into her room, which is why we kind of told her at that point, because I knew she wouldn't let them, we were going to be in hospital. So there was a limit to how many people she was going to be telling. <laughs> but every nurse, every doctor that came into the, the room, it was like, my mummy's got a baby in her tummy. Oh. <laughs> she was so excited. Yeah, she was so excited and stuff. So the surgery happened and how did that go? It went well, actually. It did go well. It was very scary. Um, she had a reasonably smooth recovery. Um, she had a bit of a persistent cough and she had a lot of um, secretions on her lungs. So she had to have a lot of suction to help bring up the secretions on her lungs. But it was a reasonably smooth recovery compared to previous surgeries. Mm -hmm. And we were only in hospital three weeks at a time. So it ended up being our shortest surgical stay. Um, and then we came home and she had six weeks at home, recovering at home before she went back to school. So, but it did it, it, well. And we were very much relieved that we were the other side of it. We were the, yeah. it was the big, scary surgery that we'd been dreading for so long and, mm -hmm. We were on the other side and we could start to look ahead a little bit more, which is yeah. amazing. We've, we've just sort of just touched on these surgeries, like, oh, she had a surgery here, here and here. As parents, how do you sit through your child having a surgery? It's so hard. It's the hardest thing. That, that weight is the worst. So um, we've always tried to stay very strong for Jessica in the run-up to surgeries um, and prepare her and not make them a big scary thing for her. Mm -hmm. So it's very much, um, I we'd go down to um, the anaesthetic room ready for her to have her surgery and I'd sing her to sleep. And then she'd go in and we would fall apart, completely fall apart at that point. But I don't know how we ever held it together until the point that she went in, but we always somehow managed to hold everything in until she went off into surgery and then we just completely fell apart. The weight always felt absolutely endless, waiting for for news from the theatre because the, the surgeons would try and give us updates yeah. every now and again. And you'd see a nurse coming towards you with an update and you, you'd be on tender hooks going, is it an okay update? You'd be trying to read their face to see if it is an okay update, if they got bad news for us, and constantly praying that she'd get through, that she'd get through, that we'd get to the other side of it. And then when it was all over, the surgeon would come up and see us and talk us through how the surgery had went, had gone. And then there'd be a couple of hours usually before we could then go down and see her on Piku. Oh, really? And did, yeah. did you find that um, you and Michael coped with it quite differently or or were you kind of in it together? Um, we did cope with it slightly differently. Um, Michael generally tried to sleep 
through the day where he could he'd try and nap and make the day go a bit quicker that way whereas I always had to try and keep my dis- self distracted with something but something that I couldn't didn't have to concentrate on so puzzles and things like that things that I could just put down and pick up and yeah walking around the hospital um we'd always go to the hospital chapel and light a candle for Jessica while we were waiting um wander down to the um restaurant and have something to eat we never left the hospital during that time while we were no, waiting of course of course um and just yeah lots of pacing around really because obviously the the bed her bed in the in the ward had already been made up for somebody else so there was a parents room where we could sit and wait until we could then go down to pick you and, and be with her mm-hmm. but it was always a very very long wait there was a tv in the parents room we could watch tv <laughs> <laughs> anything, imagine but. what you'd watch <laughs> I have no idea what we watched any time, to be honest. <laughs> it was on. I couldn't tell you a single program that we watched during that time. <laughs> I'm not surprised. And when, um, after this surgery, you were in hospital for three weeks. So what was, where was Sophie? Sophie was with my mum while Jessica was in PICU. So she was with us until the evening before Jessica's surgery. So she came with us when we went into hospital. And then my mum and my sister took her with them when they came to visit. And I remember Jessica giving a hug, Sophie a hug when she went off and said, be a good girl for Nanny and have a nice time with Nanny. And you can come and tell me about it after my surgery. And be brave, be brave. (laughs) The fact that she was telling her little sister to be brave. (laughs) (laughs) She was the one going for surgery. And Sophie was four at this point. Is that right? Yeah. She had two weeks staying with my mum and FaceTiming us. So we didn't see Sophie for two weeks. And oh, then, wow. Yeah. And then when Jessica was out of high dependency and back on the, the normal part of the um, card, children's cardiac ward, then Sophie was able to come up and be with us again. Michael had a room over at the Ronald McDonald house across the road where Sophie could stay with him. And I stayed with Jessica on the ward. Great. Great. And how was that with their first reunion after two That's weeks? Good. Jessica was so Jessica was tracking the journey because because they'd let us know when they set off and they sent sent us a glimpse when they set off and Jessica was tracking the journey for Sophie and then as soon as they arrived in the hospital car park Jessica was at the door of the ward waiting to see Sophie when she arrived and they the biggest hug when she arrived it was just it was magical they they were so overjoyed to be together and I've got a lovely photo of um Sophie showing Jessica one of the toys that she brought for Jessica and Jessica is just looking at Sophie with so much love like she couldn't get enough of looking at Sophie beautiful photo it's so lovely oh so you you came home um you had six weeks uh recovering and then she went back to school went back to school after the February half term incredible yeah she was on half days at first and then we were the plan was to gradually build her up to full days again so um can you talk us through these next couple of months yeah so she went back to school and the first couple of weeks back at school it was lovely she was happy to be back at school and then she had a morning at school where she was a bit blue and um because her heart condition made could make her go quite blue at times yeah um and she wasn't very well so we took her off to the hospital got her checked out um 
came home, she went back to school and she just picked up what seemed to be a cold, really, nothing more than a cold, um, but she couldn't shake it off. She, she was struggling to shake it off and she started being quite tired. We put her back on half days at school because she'd build up, built back up to full days by then, um, had days off school for her to recover. She'd pick up, we'd take her back to school She'd have a few days at school, then she'd come back home and just be a little bit under the weather. And it wasn't anything that felt serious at that point. She was a little bit under the weather. She wasn't quite right. (coughs) So we went back and forth to the doctor. We had a couple of appointments at the children's ward locally to get her checked out. And, you know, she just picked up again and came back home and it's just like, you know, she just needs a bit more rest and and time to recover. And um, so we went on holiday. We hope that the Easter, you know, got to the end of the Easter term. She didn't quite finish the Easter term. She wasn't quite well enough that last week. They had a school play that she was doing and she was desperate to be part of that and school agreed that she could go in for that morning be in the play and we would take her straight home afterwards and that later in the week they had an easter egg hunt at school and if she wanted to she could come to that and she just wasn't quite well enough to be able to make it to the easter egg hunt but she was so pleased that she got to do her play and then we thought we'll go on holiday we had a holiday booked on the isle of Wight, so we thought well we'll go on holiday because we're staying in a self-catered cottage we could get over to hospital in Southampton if needed. We could phone the cardiac nurses if we were concerned. And we'd just take it easy. We'd just stay in the cottage. If Jessica was tired, if we had anything planned, we'd go out in the afternoon for a couple of hours. But it was a very slow-paced ho- holiday. And we were hoping that the Easter holidays would be the chance that she needed to build her energy back up and finally get over the, the colds and the viruses that she just was struggling with. Yeah. And just couldn't shake off. Um, And she kind of seemed to pick up a little bit over the week. I mean, it was very much on and off, really. She'd have days where she really didn't seem to have very much energy and was really struggling. And then she'd have a day where she was almost back to normal. So it it, it seemed like, you know, she'd she'd go down for a bit and then she'd bounce up, bounce back, and then she'd go down for a bit and bounce back. And what we couldn't see at the time, what you know, you can only see in hindsight is that every time she didn't quite bounce back to where she'd bounced back to the previous time. It was a very gradual decline, really. We just, yeah. and, which is hard to see at the time. I mean, we we were obviously in contact with the hospital and the the doctors at the time, but it was just it was a cold. Mm-hmm. She just she just needed time to recover. I think that's yeah. what we all have in our heads that you know she just needed to get over this cold and she'd be fine yeah but it's so sort of non-specific yeah really really non-specific and then we came home from holiday her my sister and her daughters came to say my twin sister and and her two girls came to stay and we had a day out of Chessington and Jessica only went on one ride that day two rides that day she wasn't she didn't have a lot of energy she sat in her buggy the whole day but she was just quite happy to be out with her cousins having a day out and when we were leaving, she had a coughing fit on the way home and she couldn't catch her breath. And it was terrifying. I was on the motorway 
driving to the nearest hospital because I was like, we could phone 999, but I can get the nearest hospital is five minutes away. I can get there quicker than an ambulance can get to us. And I remember getting to that hospital and I literally threw my car keys at my sister, pulled Jessica out of the car and ran into A&E with her. Um, and we were straight into a room. They got her stabilised. They got her oxygen levels back up again. And she picked up and I remember the relief of being in hospital and we were somewhat, the hospital was our safe place. She was going to be okay now because she was being seen mm-hmm. and she was going to get picked up. Everything was going to get picked up and she was going to be fine. Um, and we had three days in hospital and she came home, she picked up quite a lot. She came home with a big bag of meds. And, and was it, thought, and again, was it anything? Was it, was it a virus? Do they, they thought? Viral wheeze, viral induced yeah. wheeze was what, what was the problem they thought with her struggling to catch her breath just okay. she had chest x-rays they didn't pick up on anything specific um yeah pretty much just a wheeze induced by all the viruses that she'd been having so we came home with a big bag of meds to try and help with that um thought she was going to be on the mend that this big bag of meds was going to make her better we had one night at home where she was fine she was settled she had a lovely settled night um she was quite quiet the next day she was mostly sleeping on the sofa getting up to play every for a few minutes here and there but mostly just resting on the sofa watching the telly um she struggled to get up the stairs that night um and went quite blue, but then settled down again. So we, we did have a moment where we looked at each other and went, should we take her back to hospital? Mm-hmm. And then she settled and we went, no, that's fine. We've just come home. She's got a big bag of meds. She's not worse than she was when she was discharged. And then she woke in the early hours of that morning um, at half 12. I'd just been asleep for about half an hour I remember being absolutely exhausted because I'd have three nights of sleeping in a chair um pregnant yeah pregnant (laughs) (laughs) and she wanted me to come into her bed for a snuggle and I said I can't get in your bed Jessica but come and snuggle with us and us so she came into our bed and she snuggled up and she was quite restless and I started to get a little bit anxious about the fact that she was quite restless and she couldn't seem to settle and she didn't seem quite right And I remember sitting on the side of my bed with my phone in my hand thinking, do I phone 999 or do I phone the children's ward? And at which point she suddenly said, my back, my back. And Michael was rubbing her back and lifted her up so that he could just check on her and she collapsed. And I had the phone in my hand and it was instantly obviously clear what I needed to do, that I needed to be phoning 999. And... You know, obviously we we tried resuscitating her and the paramedics came and they took her to the hospital. And I remember being on the floor going, this is it. This is the moment we've dreaded. And it's now. And I just knew, I just knew at that moment that I wouldn't get her back. That she'd already gone. And I remember that the police came, came because obviously... A sudden, a sudden unexpected death of a child at home <laughs> there were so many police outside my house I remember the police driving us to the hospital behind the ambulance it was the first time I hadn't gone in the ambulance with her and getting out the getting at the hospital and the paramedics were still trying to resuscitate her as they went into the hospital and I remember the doctor sitting on a chair 
And I can still see the doctor's face. She just looked at me and said, we're going to try once more, but it's not going to work. <laughs> and Sophie was with us because obviously she slept in our room and she woke up. She remembers the men in green pressing on Jessica's tummy. So she was with us. And we were there. So we went in for those last moments when they tried and we knew it wasn't going to work. But I remember when, when they stopped and I sat with Jessica because we couldn't cuddle her. We couldn't pick her up and cuddle her because they had to do a post-mortem. So we weren't allowed to, to cuddle her or anything but or hold her. But we just sat with her and stroked her hair. And I, I, I was really numb at that point because it just seemed really unreal. And I just said to her, Jessica, thank you for six and a half amazing years. Sorry. Sorry. No, sorry. I'm not being professional here. That's okay. <laughs> and the rubbish bit about Zoom is I can't share my tissues with you. <laughs> A few more years, I'm sure they'll develop that technology. <laughs> I don't really know um, how to ask where you go from there. Um. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it, it's one of those things you, you don't know what to do from that point. It's like life, as you know, it has completely been blown apart. Everything's changed. Um, so we had some time with Jessica. I remember initially they took us to yet another room with the tissues <laughs> and Sophie some sandwiches and I think they gave us some tea and did Sophie yeah. understand what was what had happened she didn't understand at that point she she wasn't frightened she'd seen Jessica go into hospital before she'd been in the situation of being rushed into A&E with Jessica before so in her head Jessica was in hospital and we were visiting her and the doctors were going to make her better at that point. That was what was in her head. So I think when we went back in to sit with Jessica for a, a few hours, she thought Jessica was asleep. Right. I think in her head, Jessica was asleep. And when we went back into the hospital to see her in the mortuary, um, when so Sophie stayed at home with Nanny when we did that, I think she thought that Jessica was just in hospital and we were going to visit her. Yeah. So, and I remember the moment the penny dropped with Sophie because we went, we were at the Woodland Burial Ground um, where we decided that Jessica was going to be buried. It was, we'd passed it quite a few times and it, it's one of those awful things. You have it in the back of your head when you have a child with a complex medical condition because you know that that's knowledge you might need one day. Yeah. So we, we kind of knew where, where we were going to lay her to rest and we were looking around there and Sophie suddenly went, so Jessica won't ever wake up. And I said, no, she won't ever wake up. And she just cried and cried. She was devastated. Just the, that, that was the moment that the penny suddenly dropped, that Jessica wasn't just in hospital. Jessica wasn't going to come back home. That how, long, how long after her death was that? Three days. Three days. And what support has there been for um, for Sophie? So, so we've had um, 
kind of bereavement support worker came to the house a couple of times to do activities with Sophie and to help her through with that. Um, she's part of a group called um, Halo's Children Foundation that provides support for bereaved children. So they do a monthly activity club and um, things like that. So she goes along to those groups from time okay. to time. So she, she has had some support. I mean, children yeah. react very differently. I mean, she, um, you know, I think it was referred, said to us that, you know, they kind of leapfrog in and out of grief, which yeah. is a very good way of describing it. Um, certainly in those early days, she'd have moments of being absolutely devastated. And then five minutes later, she was all smiles and playing with her toys. Yeah. So, yeah, she was very clingy very very clingy and very full-on in those early days I mean I so, my mum came to stay with us for a couple of weeks and I was so grateful for that because Michael and I fell apart we didn't know what to do we we could barely function we parenting Sophie was we didn't know what to do with her we didn't you know we, we were just making it through each day so my mum was there to pick up the pieces and, and be there for Sophie and be there for us and she was amazing I could not have got through those two weeks without her and I've I read on one of your posts that um it's not not it's not just losing Jessica but your whole family dynamics changed because you went from having a six and a half year old with a four-year-old to to just having a four-year-old so I guess Sophie would have relied on Jessica for a lot of things um and suddenly it, it was just just Sophie how how did you kind of manage that that side of it um I'm not sure really we just kind of got through each day as best we could really tried to be there for Sophie and um organized play dates where we could because obviously she didn't she'd went from having that constant companion to only having somebody at home to play with when one of her friends came over to have a play date with her so yeah. we did play dates for her so that she could have friends coming over and playing with her and kind of almost giving her back what, a little of what she'd lost. I mean, obviously, we can never give back what she'd lost, all those moments with her sister and the, all the future moments that they would have had together. I mean, I think that's that's been one of the hardest things is that loss for Sophie and knowing that we can't make that better because as parents, you want to make things better for your children. And it's something that we can't fix. We can't make it better in any way, shape or form. It just is. No. And I know now Sophie's older than Jessica was, is that right? Yeah. And how's that been as a family? That was really hard, that milestone. It was something we really, really dreaded, that the, that moment where Sophie would overtake Jessica and she'd suddenly become our oldest child. I think, as with most things, it's the build-up to all of that that is the hardest. It's like the actual moment where it happened, the day where it happened was all right, but it was the anticipation of it that was the hardest. Um, it's very weird because it, it does feel like the clock's been reset again, that we're having moments with Sophie and doing things with Sophie that we did with Jessica, only now we're start seeing things that Sophie does that Jessica never got to do. Yeah. Very bizarre. And, and at one point we'll face it with Thomas as well, that he'll overtake where Jessica was. Yeah. I feel like yeah. we're... We're kind of like leaping around a bit, but the, no, no, it's my fault. The, um, I don't know, like those first initial months, year, how do you, how do you manage the grief? How, 
how do you do it? Um, again, I think it goes back to taking every day as it comes, taking it minute by minute if you have to. Um, for me, writing about it helps a lot. I, I find it helps to process things by by writing about it. Um, we've we've always tended to be very open about it. Um, certainly as a family, so we've never tried to bottle it up or hide it um, in front of Sophie. If we need to cry, we need to cry, and I think that's been helpful. Just allowing ourselves to feel the grief and 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 work through it. Um, what also helped me um, in the early days was um, a friend of mine who lost her child um, as a baby um, quite a long time ago, about 30 years ago, um, telling me that Jessica needs attention like Sophie and Thomas do and that those moments where the grief hits really hard is the moments where she's standing in front of me wanting my attention <laughs> and that actually giving myself time to grieve and focus, allowing myself to feel that grief in the moment is me focusing on Jessica and giving her my attention and my love. And it does feel like that because actually as time moves on, it, and you know, the realness of life with Jessica feels starts getting further away. It's in those moments where the grief hits hardest, where, I actually do feel those moments with Jessica again and she's there with us and it's the love that we have for her is very, very real in that moment, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, it does. And how, how, how many months after Jessica died did you have Thomas? Uh, Thomas was born um, three months after Jessica died. God, I... I it blows my mind how how you you have got through that period because the euphoria of having a child when going through the grief of outrageous grief of losing a child like can you describe that time so the last three months of my pregnancy with Thomas was very strange a very weird time because I couldn't bond with him at all um and I remember people saying to me you know you, you should feel glad that you're having a, another baby and I was like I just didn't feel, anything. I didn't feel anything I had there was no 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 joy in in my pregnancy there was no sense of connection with him and on some level I almost I was I was glad that he was coming and I was glad that Sophie was going to have another sibling but there was part of me that almost resented him in a way because he wasn't Jessica I wanted Jessica I didn't want this unknown baby that I didn't know who who he was going to be I didn't know anything about them I just wanted Jessica so that was really really hard I mean obviously deep down I wanted everything to be fine and I was scared that something would happen to to him as well and I was scared that things wouldn't go well and that you know, I'd lose him as well because, you know, I you lose that safety net that bad yeah. things happen to other people. Yeah. Like, and that, you know that bad things can happen to you. So there wasn't that safety net. So there was quite a lot of fear as well. He would breach. <sighs> so <laughs> that made for a little bit of a more complicated experience. <laughs> you, have a, you had a vagina's delivery? I did. I had home birth. Oh, the bread, did you? I did. I had, yeah. So, uh, <gasps> Louise. 
I had a home birth with independent midwives, so that helped because it was midwives that I knew and completely trusted. Um, and I chose, I think I, I didn't completely make the decision about where he was going to be born until I was in labour. But I was terrified of going into the hospital where Jessica had died. I was absolutely terrified at the prospect that he could be born by cesarean and I would have to stay in hospital at least one night on my own without Michael there in the hospital where Jessica had died. I was absolutely terrified of that prospect. Um, and particularly as I'd also had a bad experience with the consultant um, shortly after Jessica had died where I came in for the appointment and she said, oh, I understand you're having a bad day, having been told that my daughter had died. Wow. And oh. I don't think I've ever felt anger like it. <laughs> absolutely enraged. Oh, my <laughs> so God. Was, that, that was pretty awful. And we never had saw her again for the rest of the pregnancy because I absolutely point blank refused to see her again. For her own safety, I think that was probably a, the right decision. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but yes, so yeah, I made the decision in labour. It was it was very weird. My water, I got woken by my waters breaking, and they broke at the exact time of night that Jessica had oh died, God. which was rather spooky. Um, and then he was born later that evening, and he needed a little bit of help breathing, which we'd been told to expect. Um, and I didn't actually get to see him or hold him until he was 20 minutes old oh, because God. I was waiting for the placenta to birth as well. Yeah. But when he was born, I cried because not for not not like it was when I cried when Jessica was born because I was so delighted that she was here. I cried for Jessica. I had to grieve Jessica first. Yeah. Or I could allow myself to look at Thomas and love yeah. him. And as soon as I saw him, I was so scared that I wouldn't bond with him. And as soon as I saw him, I just adored him. And that was <laughs> the relief, <laughs> the relief that I just loved him. Yeah. And that actually, um, I didn't wish that he was Jessica. I was glad that he was him. And I wish Jessica could have been there. But did she know? Thomas. Did she know you were having a boy? She didn't. She wanted a brother. She was in, she she got to see the scan picture at the twenty week scan because that was the day of her school production. Oh. Grandma's and went off for our scan, so she saw the scan picture and I forgot to show it to Sophie when she came home from preschool later that day. So Sophie actually never saw that scan picture, <laughs> but Jessica did, Amazing. and she was very excited. Oh, so. and again, um, when I asked you to do this podcast with me, I didn't realized stupidly that um it was actually the anniversary of Jessica's death yesterday um and I did message you yesterday saying please you really do not have to do this and you're such an incredibly strong woman um so I'm immensely in awe of you for for coming on and speaking with me today um but I was reading your again reading your blog yesterday and um to say I loved the way you described it but it um is probably the wrong terminology but it really I could really understand what you described was that the grief kind of never goes away. It's always a gaping hole. Um, but you said that you've around that gaping hole, your life has continued um, and it can, and it will continue. Um, but what's happened is that you've, you've kind of learned how to build bridges over this gaping hole and, and, and move forward, I guess. Yeah. And I thought that was a very, very clever way of kind of describing um, 
life without Jessica. Yeah. Is is there anything else you can I don't know, kind of add to how three years without without her, how how you what what you've learnt, how you've managed to um not not manage the grief because I don't want you to say I don't want you to have to feel you have to manage grief. Um, that's not what I'm suggesting, but um, speak because I'm making a rubbish deal on top of it. <laughs> it's something that we've learned to live alongside grief. So um, it's it's become part of our lives. It's, it's um, you know I, I think I described it in the blog post as being our constant companion. But it's not something that we're scared of anymore. It's not this big raging beast that overwhelms us and is, is terrifying. It's it's a friend. It's, you know, you, grief helps. It's what connects us with Jessica, keeps us connected with Jessica. So in some ways, it does feel like grief is a friend. It is overwhelming at times and it, it's very intense and raw at times, but it, it evolves it's it's just something we learn to live alongside. It's part of keeping us connected with Jessica. Wow. And Thomas is obviously nearly three now. Um, and um, sorry, I'm really struggling here. Um, again, I know from 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 following you on Facebook and things that um, Jessica very much. Uh, you continue to kind of keep her at the forefront of your family life. So you have lots of like um, pillowcases with her face on, et cetera, blankets and things. You you quite often do very clever photographs where where Jessica's part of the, the family photograph as well. What does he understand about Jessica? I don't I don't know how much he understands. He recognizes her in photos. So he knows he knows um he'll point to a photo and say Jessica and he'll know that that that's Jessica I don't know if he grasps that she's his sister like Sophie's his sister yet mm -hmm. I think he's still a little bit young to understand that um he likes to cuddle and kiss the wooden carving of her at her forever bed and knows oh. that he visit Jessica there but it's it's quite hard to grasp how much he understands at this point other than the fact that he just knows that Jessica is this person in photos and this wooden carving and somebody that mummy and daddy talk a lot about and Sophie talks a lot about yeah. and that Jessica's bed is is in our room and he knows that's Jessica's bed but yeah it's hard at this stage to know how much more he understands than you've, that. Ke you've kept Jessica's bed in your room Jessica's bed still at the end of our bed where it used to always has been yeah and do you think um, you mentioned that Sophie goes to um, a group for bereaved children? Do you think eventually Thomas might attend that group as well? Yeah, Thomas comes along to the sessions anyway, so um, he comes along and he just plays. I don't think he really understands what that group is all about anyway. Um, he just it's you know they have a garden, he plays in the garden, and he just plays with toys and he yeah, has a I nice time. <laughs> I think it's older he might understand but yeah. it's strange because he's not a bereaved sibling in the way that Sophie is no of course no Jessica so yeah. he's a little he's a little bit outside our grief in that respect mm -hmm. but um Sophie is the bridge she connects Jessica and Thomas she's the one that knows them both and loves them both and has the memories to share so and she knows that that's her job to be the bridge between the two of them oh. And um, for you and Michael, um, I can imagine you've you've managed your grief quite differently. Um, 
how have you managed to uh, to get through the last few years as a couple? It's been that has been very hard um, at times. I remember in the early days, very early days, turning around to Michael and saying, "I, you know, I've read that grief causes marriage. You know, a lot of marriages don't survive grief." And I don't want us to be one of them. And please, please, I need you with me because you share those memories and that journey with me. Um, and then there, there's been periods where it's been very, very, very rocky at times. Um, it's been hard to connect with each other. And there was definitely a time where I was like, I'm no longer surprised that a lot of marriages survive don't survive grief. I'm surprised any of them survive it. I remember yeah. going through <laughs> that period and feeling like I didn't really care. Um I kind of feel like we're starting to get the other side of that now and trying to rebuild us. Yeah. If that makes sense. I th- it's, it's obviously not been helped by having a very young child throughout that time as well, because, you know, as, as parents, it's hard to concentrate on your own relationship as a couple when you've got a young baby and a toddler or a toddler, because you just don't physically have the time to be able to connect to each other in that way. And obviously the yeah. pandemic made that hard because we yeah. haven't been able to go out and have time just for us but Uh, talk a lot um when we cry a lot together and we do try and support each other as best we can I think sometimes it's hard because I think sometimes we have times where we're each too empty to support the other yeah both of us are running on fumes so we just literally just don't have the energy to be there for each other but you just keep moving forward and trying to find ways to deal with that and 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 work through it together and I remember Mike was saying on the day of Jessica's funeral when I turned around to him and said I don't know how I'm going to get through today and he said we're a team we'll get through it together and that's that's been very true the whole time it's like there's times that we haven't really felt like we're working as a team but we are still a team yeah. even if it doesn't feel that way and we'll keep working through it together well, Louise, um, thank you like so much for sharing sharing your story and telling us all about Jessica. Um, again, I'm sorry <laughs> for the state of me. Um, at the end of my podcast, um, I asked the same questions, and um, I think my first one's a bit stupid. <laughs> um, I think I think we might be able to to guess who this uh, female may be. But if you could have um, coffee with any other lady or female who would that be and why it would absolutely be jessica <laughs> and what would it be would it be squash would it be milk what, what was her tipple of choice i don't think any 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 ever drank water she was oh very, did she oh gosh she was good <laughs> she didn't like squash she didn't like milkshake anything like that she would only drink water bless her but yeah we'd go out and have cake there would have to be cake good because did she have a favorite place to go um I don't think so. She just like days out generally. I mean, we'd probably go to, to the open air museum near us because we had such lovely days out. We'd have a picnic, I think, with Jessica. We'd sit and sit in the on the green and we'd have a picnic. Amazing. And do you think of Jessica as a nine year old or would she always be six? Um I go from one to the other, to be honest. Um I do obviously do my memories of her, uh, you know, as a six and a half year old. But I mean, she does occasionally come and visit me in in dreams and things. And the last time she visited my dream, she was nine. 
and I remember she hugged me and she came up to my chin <laughs> and I was struck on how tall she was <laughs> so I do also have an image in my head of Jessica as a nine-year-old too that's that's really special that's amazing so um, I think would be nine actually <laughs> <laughs> since becoming a mum um is there anything that you've uh, that you say to your children that your mum used to say to you um I can't think of anything specific but I definitely parent like my mum <laughs> Um, on you know no means no and I do yeah I I think there are times that I come out with things that are definitely echoes of things that my mum said to me but I can't can't think of anything specific and and you mentioned earlier because you're a twin aren't you are you and your sister very similar um in some respects we're quite different in, in a lot of respects though okay and um so bearing in mind everything you've been through is there this is probably a stupid question as well one piece of advice that you could that you could give to us um for us the biggest thing has always been that tomorrow isn't promised and that's still true now I mean because we know that tomorrow is still not promised obviously we we hope that Sophie and Thomas will live long and healthy lives but we know that tomorrow is never guaranteed so it's very much to live in the moment and to try and enjoy it as much as you can amazing advice thank you very very much for speaking to us um how can um people follow you uh so i have a blog um called little hearts big love um which you can find online and i'm also on facebook and instagram through my blog and twitter as well and are you happy for people to contact you absolutely thank you well thank you louise and um have a wonderful this is your no not quite at the end of your half term you've got a few more days haven't you couple more days left easter break shall i say spring break as it is here (laughs) so enjoy your last few days and thank you again thank you have a nice day thank you (laughs) bye-bye i don't have the right words but i feel beyond honored that louise agreed to share jessica's story with us today i wanted to mention the charities that have helped jessica louise and the family through their journey firstly little hearts matter which is a national charity which helps provide information and support to children with half a working heart and their families. They help provide support during Jessica's life and also help support bereaved families too. Secondly, Halo Children's Foundation, which Louise mentioned during the recording, which is a local charity which also helps to support bereaved children. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow Louise too on her blog or Instagram at Little Hearts Big Love. See you next week.